Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On your mobile, on your wavelength, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. There's an awful lot going on this morning. There's an awful lot to be getting along with. It's also snowing. Uh, and I know that you've just heard Julie Hartley Brewer say, well, of course, it's not really snowing until it snows in London. Well, it is snowing in London, but it is also snowing elsewhere. There will, of course, be closures, road closures, railway lines shut down, schools not opening, all manner of disruption going on uh, because we've had a teensy, teensy bit of snow, about this much snow, yeah, about that much, about that much. Unbelievable. Anyway, if you haven't been able to do something this morning because of that, do let us know. Uh, we're not just going to talk about politics, because it's not all we do on this show, but so we, we will take some snow news from you. Uh, snow news is good news as far as we're concerned, uh, so do bring it to us. Francis Hall joins us up first. He's a public law barrister. We're going to ask him about the new unveiling of the migrant uh, law. Yesterday, Suella Braverman on this very show, I think, did a magnificent job of convincing everyone, including the Labour Party, who was sort of dumbstruck by her arguments, basically, uh, that this was the right thing to do, that this is the right way to go. Front page uh, of The Times this morning says this, Sunak ready to battle judges over migration. And I have to say, I think this has got the most chance of all of the measures that the Conservative Party have tried to bring in over the course of the last two to three years. The thing that does at least warm the cockles of my heart is that people in this country who are so far removed from reality <clears throat> that they didn't think this was a problem and that have now actually realised that it is a problem. Some of them, unfortunately, are still to be convinced, however, uh, that mass migration without any, any limits whatsoever uh, is a bad idea. Gary Lineker, of course, is one of them. Uh, he's now facing a pretty big rebuke because I think he's finally overstepped the mark when he put out a tweet last night in answer to what somebody else was saying uh, and basically admitted, uh, he said that basically this was language that was being used by a Conservative government akin to what the language was in 1930s Germany. We're going to be talking uh, to some prominent Jewish activists about how they feel about being told that what this government is doing is akin to the Holocaust. I think it's a disgrace. I think Gary Lineker has by far and away breached every single more that he could have breached in terms of taste, in terms of decency, in terms of his BBC contract. I'm not calling for him to be fired, but I am calling for him to be investigated for hate speech because that's the kind of thing that people like Gary Lineker and his ilk will do to people like us. They'll always say, oh, you mad right-wingers, uh, you're always making hate speech about groups of people. 
Well, what does he call this? Likening people to Nazis who murdered millions and millions of Jews, millions and millions of people that they didn't like. He's actually saying the Conservative Party is akin to Nazis killing people in gas chambers, concentration camps. Come on, Gary, even you don't believe this. It's simply clickbait for his moronic followers, all of whom are coming on to me this morning to say, of course it's not hate speech, he's telling the truth. Well, then you're about as stupid as he is. I'm sorry, this has got to stop. Lineker, if you want to be, you know, the man on Speaker's Corner, then get out there and be the man on Speaker's Corner. Come on this show and tell me why the Tories are like the Nazis. That's what I want you to do. But you won't, will you? Because you've already blocked me on Twitter. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Also coming up, we're going to be speaking uh, to... Of course, the one and only Dale Vince. He's, of course, the football magnate who owns Forest Green Rovers, but also uh, owns Ecotricity. But guess what? He also does. Uh, he subsidises Just Stop Oil. And he's just put out a tweet in the last 24 hours to say that he's given them even more money so they can do even more protesting. Because, of course, now uh, that we're getting into spring, once the snow stops and once the sun comes out, they'll want to be sitting down on roads again, won't they? The plonkers. Absolutely unbelievable. We'll also be talking about a great many other things, of course. We will uh, be asking you for your views on the whole migrant business because we have, of course, had 24 hours to think about it. Um, Isabel Lang will join us as well. James Daly also is coming on the show. He's the MP who was attacked, basically, in the Hancock files, the lockdown files. We found out yesterday that he was the MP who was at the centre of a disgusting and terrible threat that was made by Hancock and his minions to basically withdraw a disability access centre unless he voted with the government. Shocking state of affairs. We'll get into all of that. 0344 499 1000. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Prime Minister's questions as well. What more could you want? This is Talk TV. Well, welcome to Wednesday morning. As I say, there's a bit of snow around, but don't let it stop you doing whatever you would normally do. Uh, Let's start, first of all, with uh, the one and only Mr. Francis Hall, public law barrister, uh, a guest on this show frequently. Francis, uh, very good morning to you. How are you doing? Morning, Mike. Very well, thanks. Nice to talk to you. And we're going to get into the the, the sort of the the details of this policy and how uh, it's likely to work or how it could be tripped up by various lawyers. I mean, the Times version of it this morning saying that that Rishi Sunak is ready to battle the judges. He's ready um, to take any action necessary, perhaps against European courts. But just before we go anywhere near it, and I don't want you to think that I've suddenly turned into a a man who is against free speech, because I'm actually not. But just as a simple exercise, I wonder what you think about what Gary Lineker said and whether under some of the frameworks that we've seen, um, does it in any way breach... Uh, the rules? Does it in any way represent hate speech? Because I've looked at the definition of hate speech and I think it does. No, well, I I certainly don't think it's a criminal offence. And I think we should be very slow to try and make things criminal offences that are speech that we don't like and is that really offensive. And it might well be offensive. uh, And you've set out a good case as to what it is. Um, but no, I don't think it's, uh, well, I, I, the trouble about hate speech is it's just a, a thoroughly undefined and undefinable. Yes. Quantity. Well, that's, well, that's part so of, are... that's part of my point because some of the yeah. stuff that has been pursued has been so pathetic and ridiculous and no more damaging perhaps to people's, um, uh, sort of well-being than this one, but this is at least as bad as some of them. Yeah. But I think. The thing is, if you um, fly the banner for free speech, which I think is the right thing to do, then you have to approach it consistently. 
there's a different question, of course, which is whether or not it's consistent with um, Mr. Lineker's uh, contract with BBC as a sports commentator to be right. so flagrantly political. And I think I understand that he's been, had words have been said to him again by the BBC about this latest um, comment. Uh, but that's, it's like, that's a slightly different point. It uh, is a slightly uh, different I, point. But of course, I've, whole, I've, I've also made the case that since the World Cup, when Gary Lineker turned himself into a proper journalist because he did a documentary about human rights in Qatar, he then crossed the boundary, as far as I'm concerned. He crossed the Rubicon into news journalism. So he can't have it both ways. You know, if he claims and hides behind the fact that he only, rep only presents match of the day, therefore he's not guided by the rules that guide everybody in news, then he shouldn't have done a documentary about human rights, should he? Well, I suppose if he's doing that and he's becoming a commentator and that's and that's what he wants to do, then that's then that's fine. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm reluctant to um, suggest that somebody should be sacked because of what they said on Twitter. Yeah, I'm not calling um, for in that. In fact, the only thing I'm doing is I'm sure you can be aware, Francis, it's a bit of mischief making because basically, yeah, you know, the likes of Gary Lineker will accuse me and others of hate speech every five minutes because he doesn't agree with our political views. So I just think he should get a taste of his own medicine. Yeah, entirely fair. <laughs> I agree. Let's talk about the, uh, the, the situation vis-a-vis Suella Braverman. I thought, you know, we know that this has been a massive problem for the Tory party. Um, I don't disagree with Yvette Cooper, who says, you know, the asylum system is broken and that it's the Tories that broke it, because to some extent they did. Um, but I think this manoeuvre that they're trying has at least more chance than anything they've tried before. What do you think? I'm really not sure I'm in a position to comment because I haven't seen the bill, and that sounds loyally. But the devil of the de the devil uh, is always in the detail, uh, particularly in these kind of cases. I think I've said it on your show before and other places. I think actually the real problem is that the French boats are not picking up migrants when they get into the sea and putting them back. Um, now I was corrected yesterday, commenting elsewhere, um, and told, well, the French are making really good efforts to. Um, destroy the boats. Uh, they might be, but what they're not doing is picking up the migrants as soon as they get into French waters and taking them back. Yeah. Because the problem is, for as long as that happens, this crisis will continue. Uh, the, the difficulty with this bill is that it's not saying they will be returned to France immediately because it's a safe th third country. Uh, and the whole point about um, migration and the, um, the convention, the Rome Convention on um, Refugees, is that you have to claim asylum in the first safe country. Now, case law in the European Court of Human Rights and here and elsewhere has watered that down mm. in, in a way that I think is um, needs review. Um, mm. Because I think if you are in France, then France should be your first port of call or the other country that you go to. And it's not right to say that you're fleeing persecution if you're fleeing France. And many of these um, asylum seekers, so somebody yesterday saying what's said very often, which is that they're in appalling conditions. They're in appalling conditions because they refuse to be relocated in other parts of France, mm. which the French authorities do offer to do. Now, there's another issue, of course, which is France gets more. If, if France is going to stop stem the tide, it will have more. So there needs to be some sort of international agreement. I understand that there, there is going to be an announcement about that on Friday. I think that is actually more important because... For as long as these asylum seekers can just get into, or migrants, whatever they might be, can just get into Britain and they know that they will not be returned to France, they know that they're going to be here for a very substantial period. How this is going to work, I don't know. Yeah. But uh, there's a significant and important um, cl uh, uh, 
qualification on it, which is that if people are at risk of going back to a country where that they are at serious risk of their safety, then they won't be returned to that country. Mm. Well, that's essentially the definition of asylum and humanitarian protection we have now. Right. So that's not going to change very much. Um, the, the real issue is whether or not they can go to Rwanda, whether Rwanda's safe, mm. whether or not we win the case um, in, in the ECHL, whether or not the whether the government wants to ignore that, which it could do um, under domestic law, it could it could ignore it. It, it ignored the um, not ignored, but it took it into account and didn't follow it with prison voting, for example. So there is precedent for that, and the Human Rights Act itself allows the government, if it wishes to, to pass legislation that's against it with the appropriate declarations mm. and so on. Right. Um, so there's an awful lot of there's an awful lot to come. And um, while uh, Suella Braverman may have been very convincing yesterday, um, unless unless we can have a proper, basically a blockade of these boats in France and we can stem that tide, I don't see this going away yeah. anytime soon. No, I think you're right. I mean, I think there has to be a methodology that they, that they sort of bring into play which does stop the boats. Now, whether it's physically stopping them or whether it is making the destination a less favourable place to go, because I hear all the time now from people in France who say the reason people come from France to here is because they know that they get treated better in the UK than they do in almost every other country in Europe, that things are better for them, um, the benefits are better, um, the treatment is better, they will be put into um, hotels and houses, they will be given an opportunity to claim for asylum. And so as long as it becomes a, a, a desirable place to come to, people will keep coming. You know, it's a bit like saying, oh, we're going to stop cocaine dealers smuggling cocaine into Britain. How are you going to do it? Well, basically, you're not. There's so much money in it um, that you can't. So, you know, the other way to do it, I suppose, is to, is to take them on legally. One of the things I've heard Rishi Sunak say is that many of the asylum seekers wait until they've been turned down, which can be a lengthy process. And then they say in the final kind of appeal process, oh, I think I might have been a victim of the modern slavery uh, situation. And then they get another chance to, to, to apply for asylum. And the whole process starts again. Sunak says that's going to be, if they haven't said that at the first application, then they won't be able to use it later. That's all very well. Um, but you can see that people will now just say that straight away, won't they? Yeah, and, and it, it, it's difficult to see how they will get past the court uh, um, uh, an obligation to deal with people. If it's, it's, so, for example, if somebody is the victim of modern slavery in Britain, uh, they won't have said it because it won't have happened yet. Mm. So, I, I mean, I can see huge problems with that. Mm. Um, and, and the other point to make is, uh, unless we stop speaking English, I think this country will always be a magnet to migrants. That, I mean, that, the reality is that's, that's why mm. Britain is such um, a target, I think, more than anything else. And, and because there are so many people from so many countries, I, I mean, you, you, there were interviews yesterday with people in the um, in the jungle in Calais and elsewhere, yeah. the jungle still exists, places like that, where they're saying, oh, my uncle's there, so I want to go there, I've got a right to go there. Because, mm. And then asylum rights seekers, uh, rights um, campaigners, sorry, say, oh, well, people have a right to go where their families are. Well, they don't, that's not what the Rome Convention says. Yeah. If people are genuine refugees, then they will they will go to the first safe country mm. or and maybe redistributed if that country has an unfair proportion of people. But yeah. but the other the other point to make is that the other point thing you hear is that we have fewer refugees in this country. Well, even if that's true, 
the, the proportion of migrants that we have in this country is very substantial yes. compared to other countries in Europe. Mm. And that's the correct metric because that's that's the thing that makes it. This is also a much more highly populated country by landmass yeah. than any other country in Europe. Stay where we are, Francis. We've got more to come. We'll play a little bit of Suella Braverman uh, yesterday in the Commons. Uh, we'll be hearing from her later on today as well. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Question for you. Uh, is Gary Lineker guilty of hate speech? This is Talk TV. DAB Plus. Ask your smart speaker to play Talk TV and get access to exclusive content by downloading the Talk TV mobile app. Available for free now from the App Store and Google Play. Talk Radio and Talk TV. On DAB Plus. On the app. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, lots coming up, uh, coming up on our show in a little while. James Daly, uh, the MP, the Tory MP for Bury North, is going to join us for his first interview uh, since it was revealed in the lockdown files in the Daily Telegraph uh, that he was basically targeted by Matt Hancock and some of his aides under the rules of COVID because they were worried that he might not vote with the government. He might not be draconian enough. He might be one of those backbenchers that need persuading. Uh, so basically threatening to block funds uh, for some of his of his and other people's projects in their constituencies unless they were convinced that they could vote in favour of the government. Absolutely shocking breach of democratic rights, of representation with taxation. Absolutely ridiculous. So we'll talk to James Daly uh, coming up uh, in the next hour after this. Also coming up tonight, Isabel Oakshot returns to Talk TV. Uh, she's going to be on The Talk from 9pm. I'm going to be on Jeremy Carl from 7. It's all happening. We're talking to Francis Hall, Public Law Barrister. Francis, just before we go on, let's have a look at Suella Braverman's performance yesterday uh, in the Commons. I am confident that this bill is compatible with international obligations. It will allow us to stop the boats that are bringing tens of thousands to our shores in flagrant breach of both our laws and the will of the British people. For a government not to respond to waves of illegal migrants breaching our borders would be to betray the will of the people we were elected to serve. Suella Braverman there speaking in the Commons. It should be noted that even Yvette Cooper says that Gary Lineker uh, is out of order here and has overstepped the mark, but we'll come back to that a little bit later on. Some Jewish groups are not very happy with him either. Um, but let's talk to Francis Hoare about the law. Francis, a lot of people debate whether or not we should get in or out of the um, European Court of Human Rights system. Um, I'm aware of at least two or three other European nations which are in the ECHR that still manage to control their own borders and still manage to control their own immigration policy without um, you know, being told by the ECHR judgments that they can't. Why is it that Britain doesn't seem to be able to do that while we're still in it, if you like? Well, I think there are two, potentially two reasons. Firstly, um, the, the, the way that the House of Lords and then the Supreme Court has interpreted the, the, the Human Rights Act it, it is effectively to follow Strasbourg courts, the European Court of Human Rights, um, in, in, unless there's very good reason to do so. Whereas the, the Act itself only actually says have regard to. Now, if we went back to have regard to, we took that into account, um, but our courts made their own decisions uh, uh, and occasionally decided not to follow Strasbourg jurisdiction. Um, jurisprudence, sorry, I think that 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 may be a good thing. Um, now, we previously had um, attempts to do that with the Bill of Rights, um, which seems to have been, I think, has been shelved. Um, 
it's quite difficult to steer the judiciary into what they should do. And obviously, the judges will rightly have have their own minds about um, how how um, legislation should be interpreted, and that's their job. Um, but there's nothing wrong with legislation saying how you should take into account um, Strasbourg judgments. Um, and the, the second point is that um, there is no reason, I think, why um, we shouldn't have a relationship that is more uh, flexible with the European Court of Human Rights. And I don't say uh, that we should withdraw from the Council of Europe and from the jurisdiction of the um, human, European Court of Human Rights. I think it's, it's important that we are there when um, other countries such as Russia and Belarus um, have been in the in the court. I, I don't know whether Russia is suspended at the moment, but I, I, to, to abandon the project that Churchill set up, I think, is problematic. Um, and, and I think it is important that we're, we're in it. So don't advocate um, leaving it. But, but I think having a dynamic relationship with it um, and recognising that different countries will have different constraints uh, on them um, and, and that when it comes to things like migration, um, there should be a high degree of deference to um, what Parliament decides uh, and the way that Parliament acts is important. So that's a little bit wo- of a woolly explanation, but it, there's no there's no sort of easy... No, I, no I, I, I actually followed it and I also agree with you because I don't think we should leave the e- ECHR. And part of my point is, is that it doesn't appear to be necessary to do that mm. because it does appear that there are plenty of ways of working within that system, uh, thereby not breaking so-called international law, um, but just, in, as you say, interpreting things differently, because I think we have to all agree, whatever the UNHCR wants to tell us, the world has changed. You know, we no longer live in a sort of post-Second World War 1950s uh, Britain. We live in a global economy where people feel much more at ease moving around the world, whether it be mm. by dinghy uh, or by aeroplane uh, or by, you know, cruise ship. They basically have it in their heads that they can move. You know, back in the 50s, when asylum was something that very rarely happened, and it was really only in the case of a proper war where people were genuinely in fear of their lives, literally running across borders to get away from murdering dictators. You know, it's life isn't really like that anymore. Um, so many, many more people have now come to the West, to Western Europe. So the idea that you can come here because you've got a member of your family here is neither here nor there, as you say. Um, the whole system needs changing. The whole, the whole sort of narrative needs changing, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think it needs changing internationally because because we have. Uh, so I, I mentioned the Rome Convention earlier. That 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 essentially says the first country you go to, um, you, you stay at, uh, and and that in a war, then that's an obvious solution. Mm. But when you have so many migrants who are so mobile in a, in a way that they haven't been from so many different, and and there are a, a, a large number of places that are in states of war or semi-war or where there's persecution. Um, then inevitably, other some countries are going to get more of them than others, and as we see in this country, that might be because they are able to get across borders through the European Union and then come to the the one of two English-speaking countries in Europe, mm. uh, well, in, in continental Europe. Apart from if we exclude Cyprus and Malta, not really don't really count either anyway. Um, so yeah, that, that that that's a that's a problem, and then the the other problem is. Countries like France don't do anything to stop um, migrants leaving their shores, and, and you can see the immediate self-interest of the of the French. But actually, if France 
continues to do that, then it will continue to have a stream of migrants going through it. Mm. So I think that's the conversation that we hope uh, Sunak and Macron are happy, happening, because the only way to resolve that is diplomatically. We can't force the French to police their own waters. They mm. come up with this preposterous explanation that it's dangerous to migrants to rescue them because they might all jump in the water yeah. or kill yeah. or kill children or throw children in the water. They, they, apparently they've threatened that before. Well, very few of them have anything other than young men, in fact. Well, yeah. I listened to an interview the other day on another station and they were talking to a fisherman who operates in the channel and he said he was getting sick to death of rescuing people from the water. But he said every single one that he had rescued, of which there were dozens, every single one of them were Albanian. Yeah, well, that, that, that that's the, the main country they seem to be coming from mm. now. I think it, I don't know whether it's 40% yeah. or it's not quite a majority, but it's... it's so it's I'm afraid, you know, Gary Lineker's kind of treatise on human rights has got a few facts wrong, you know, because people who are coming from Albania, who are generally dressed in rather well uh, uh, expensive trainers and quite well uh, dressed, generally speaking, are clearly coming here to be part uh, of, a, of a criminal enterprise. And I'm afraid that that is a truism uh, that he cannot deny. Uh, but so to, to, to make out that trying to stop drug gangs from bringing more young men from Albania to sell more drugs in this country is akin to the Nazis murdering six million Jews is really very offensive. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Francis, good to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Francis Hall, uh, public law barrister, uh, giving us his view on whether he thinks that this could work legally. I think it could. I think all it requires, really, is a bit of a backbone. And I think Suella Braverman may well indeed have that backbone. But what about Gary Lineker? And what about Germany? You know, this is a guy who's played football for his country. This is a guy um, who has played football against Germany. I mean, is this a, a character who would bring up the Nazis when he was playing football against Germany? Why would you do that? Why would you ever invoke that in a conversation? I would never do that. I don't understand why he thinks it's clever. Maybe it's because he's not very clever. Coming up, we're going to be talking to Gavin Mortimer, uh, who writes The Spectator. He's over in France. He'll give the French reaction to what happened yesterday, what Suella Braverman and Rishi Sunak plan. We shall see what happens. Chris in Ottershaw says, Mike, Gary Lineker is like a first-year college student that passes on a part of a conversation he had with the last person he spoke to. And Mick says, if Lineker is innocent of hate speech, why was a woman arrested for silent prayer in her thoughts? Well, that is a very good question. Uh, and one here from someone who doesn't give a name. Uh, I hope, Mike, when you talk to Dale Vince, you ask him about the National Grid calling on a coal-powered station last night because it didn't have enough power in the system. A coal station, by the way, which is scheduled to close. Yeah, I certainly will be asking him about that. I'll also be asking him why he's decided to donate more money to those planks, Just Stop Oil. This is Talk TV. Trisha Talk. Fashion Talk. Happy Talk. Honest Talk. Trisha Goddard. The original queen of talk is on talk radio. People have to think about that. Get on the guest list with the legendary Trisha Goddard. I'll be coming live to you from Connecticut in the USA. A transatlantic talk show with a difference. Trisha Goddard. Do you think he can empathise with what the British public are going through? Trisha Goddard in the afternoon. Saturday and Sundays from 1 on talk radio and talk TV. The home of common sense. Talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Loads coming up. Uh, we're going to be talking to Gavin Mortimer very shortly. Coming up at the top of the hour, though, uh, we're going to be speaking to James Daly MP, a backbench Tory MP who was uh, targeted 
as one of the rebels who might not vote for some of the more tight restrictions that Matt Hancock uh, and the government wanted around COVID uh, because the lockdown wasn't working as well as they wanted it to. And they actually started threatening some of these backbench MPs uh, with withdrawal of funds for constituency activities, for particular projects that we're working on. Absolutely shocking. Also, we'll be talking to Isabel Lang, Talk uh, TV's weather reporter, to find out what uh, the next 24 hours holds for you. If you're stuck in snow or if you're having trouble getting anywhere, uh, do let us know. If anything's been stopped as a result, uh, you know what to do. Um, how about this? I don't understand how new migrant laws are going to get civil servants to do the job they obviously don't want to do and how they're going to find all the illegal immigrants who are out there working illegally legally and how they'll stop the ones in hotels disappearing, says Mike. Well, one of the biggest problems uh, that we have in this country is that people come here, and this is uh, evidenced by people I've spoken to, including Kevin Mortimer in the past, um, that people who come here from various different countries around the world know that they will be able much easier to disappear uh, into this country than they can into any other country. And one of the reasons I say that is I was listening last night to Tom Newton Dunn's show on Talk TV, uh, and he had a, a French journalist on who said basically because there's no ID system in this country, people, once they're here, can just disappear into the, uh, the black economy. Gavin, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. We spoke last week about all of this. Um, the big problem does seem to be, or at least a very major part of it does seem to be, that Britain is just seen as a soft touch, right? Yeah, absolutely. It is, for the reasons you just said. Um, there's this large black market economy. The fact, too, of the... Um, the there's no doubt that the French are... Uh, have a much tougher identification um, system. Everyone has to carry an ID card. I think, too, the fact that, you know, English, uh, so many migrants speak English, and that's what economic migrants, and that is what attracts them to the UK. Mm. But also, finally, the fact that we are soft touch, and we just see last year with the Rwanda fiasco that um, it, it's so attractive to come to Britain because once you're here, you're not really going to be sent back. Well, that's the thing. And the, and, and the package of, of what you will get when you get here is an awful lot better. But what's been the French reaction to um, the announcements yesterday, Gavin? What's um, old Macron been saying? Well, not, nothing yet. He's got his own problems, Mike, because uh, there are about 1.3 million people on the streets yesterday um, protesting against his um, pension reform. Oh, yeah, that's not going too well for him, is it? It's not going too well, no. He's in a real pickle. <laughs> and I think, seriously, Mike, I think, the Richie Sunak has a really good opportunity. It's his Anglo-French summit on Friday in Paris. I think he has a good opportunity. Uh, he's got some leverage here to, to get Macron, to, to really support him in the battle to stop illegal immigration. Because as I've said to you before, it's a huge problem in France too. Um, and there are record numbers of, I think it's about 131,000 asylum claims last year. That's not... Uh, uh, that's not including the many thousands of people who came up from Italy into France um, in the southeast of the country. Um, so it's something. And of course, it's interesting because obviously Macron won the election last year. So he's this is his second and final term. So in that sense, he's not like Richie Sunak and the Tories fighting for his political mm. life. But of course, what is coming up in uh, Paris? Well, you've got the Rugby World Cup in September. And then next year, you've got the big one, the Olympics. And if you think back to what happened at the Stade de France last May um, with, the, with the shambles of the Champions League yeah. final, Liverpool fans were attacked by, not actually, Mark, I wrote about this in the Spectator last month, they weren't attacked by local gangs. The people mugging them were actually from um, a large illegal immigrant camp in um, Le Chapelle, just about three miles south of the Stade de France. Mm. 
Um, so this is a, sort of a nightmare that haunts Macron and France. It's going to be a, a repetition of this anarchy, but on a bigger, bigger scale. And uh, it really was a, a political issue last year that I think right. affected the outcome of the of the parliamentary election. When crucially, Macron lost his absolute majority, and Marine Le Pen um, won eighty-nine yeah. seats. There's no question uh, that politicians overall have looked at this problem and thought it doesn't really affect many people. It's a small number of immigrants. It's not a problem for everyday uh, French people or British people. But it has now become that because, you know, we spoke yesterday about the increase in numbers. You know, the, the, the numbers coming illegally just on boats alone has increased by a factor of 10 in three years. You know, it's going to be 80,000 this year. Three years ago, it was only 8,000. And I think five years ago, it was 300. You know, yeah. somebody's worked out that this is a very good business. It's a very good way of getting people here. And once you are here, that's also a very good business. Yeah, absolutely. You look at the figures across in the Mediterranean, Mike, they're exactly the same in terms of it, sort of a tenfold increase from, uh, from 2012, um, the peak of 2015, 16 and 17. And then last year was the, I think it was about 102,000 came across the Mediterranean. That was the biggest increase since 2016. And there's, as we've said before, where the figures projected for the channel this year are 80,000. I mean, I think Sunak and Macron, instinctively, they're fairly relaxed about immigration. because It doesn't affect them. Yeah. They're very rich men. They're obviously in uh, political uh, leaders, but they're also rich men. They, 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 who, who is affected by this most? It's not the likes of Gary Lineker. Mm. It's not the, the wealthy elite. It's the people where the, the migrants t tend to be sent. Um, whether it's Merseyside, whether it's parts of Paris or, uh, or other French cities where public services begin to um, crumble. And, and this is why it's, it's so just so frustrating. Well, not more. Well, I've seen, I mean, I've seen pictures. I'm not sure if it was the part of the Seine where the Eiffel Tower is, but it's not far from there, I don't think, where there's a sort of tented city growing up where just along the yeah. bank of the, of the river, uh, it's, yeah. just, it's just mile after mile after mile of people living, sleeping rough in tents. Yeah, absolutely. That's in up near um, Port Stalingrad. And what Macron's solution, uh, I was reading just um, yesterday, Mike, is that he wants to break up these migrant camps, which has been done many times before, um, ahead of the World Cup and the Olympics, and um, put them out in the um, set them up in the countryside. But of course, a the migrants don't want to go there. If you look at the UK and France, where do they congregate? It's it's in the big cities. It's in Marseille. Paris or it's in London or Leeds or Manchester or wherever it may be they don't want to go out to the countryside um, and and so another thing of course is that this causes a lot of angst in these villages and towns in France where um, where these migrants are sent and it's it's just a clash that is not going to be resolved in, in, in this manner the only way to do it as we've said many times before like is to have the, uh, an EU wide um, policy that vets anyone who wanted to come to Europe are welcoming genuine asylum seekers and returning economic migrants. Well, the part of the problem as well is if you're talking about that, uh, the gangs operating in some of these camps who are physically attacking those Liverpool fans, what are they doing the rest of the time? Presumably they're physically attacking other people. Oh, well, there's a, uh, and they're selling drugs. Uh, there's a huge uh, crack um, problem in Paris now. Uh, a lot of these brought over by a lot of these gangs who are used by the uh, drug gangs and also the, the people smuggler gangs. That's another important thing to remember, Mike, about this, uh, the, the government's bill is it's aimed, we've got to stop 
the the smuggling gangs and that's usually the albanian mafia mm. not just in the channel but as the french press were reporting recently they're also taking control of the mediterranean route um so these are, are well-organized gangs um, and they need to be broken up and that's why it requires an eu a, a wide policy and uh and 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 to face down people like Gary Lineker and his absurd infantile comparisons to Nazi Germany um, and other people. Though I was reading, I think it was the Labour MP Khalid Mahmoud was saying, "Oh, this um, the government's bill is going to increase racism and xenophobia." No, it won't do that. But if you just allow um, tens of thousands of people to come across who shouldn't be here, that is going to cause social unrest because it's just not fair. And it's, it's causing a, a decline in public services, as we've talked about already, and, and something needs to be done about it. So bravo to the government. And now comes the hard part of facing down the pro-migrant lobby, which is very powerful. Yeah, and very wealthy because they make an absolute fortune out of representing people on our dollar. Thank you very much yeah. indeed. Uh, Gavin, great to talk to you as ever. Thanks very much indeed. Gavin Morton, writing from The Spectator uh, over in France, giving us his perspective. But there is a massive problem in France as well. Let's not forget, you know, it's not as if they are completely and utterly um, unfettered by the migrant uh, invasion of Western Europe because there are people living in tents up and down the banks of the River Seine. You know, Paris has areas where you wouldn't ever want to go and you wouldn't go as a result of some of the dreadful conditions that these people are living in. It is a massive, massive problem for the whole of Western Europe. Of course, the original blame for all of this can be laid very squarely at the door of who? Angela Merkel. Yeah, thanks very much indeed. 0344 499 1000. Coming next, we're going to speak to Johnny Gould. Uh, he's going to talk to us about Gary Lineker. Uh, a lot of Jewish groups very, very angry about the fact that he has invoked the Holocaust. And how about this? Uh, this is a tweet from somebody who doesn't, a text from somebody who doesn't give a name. Uh, I'm sure Andrew Bridgen was cancelled and sacked because of his reference to the Holocaust. Please tell me what the difference is with this virtue signalling footballer. It's a good question. This is Talk TV. Edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk, Mike Graham. The only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, talk radio and talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on this snowy Wednesday morning. Uh, we're preparing ourselves for uh, another Prime Minister's Questions coming up at midday today uh, where Sir Keir Starmer, the brain of Britain, uh, will be taking on Rishi Sunak who's uh, fast becoming a man uh, who at least is performing better in the House of Commons uh, than he used to uh, and who's beginning to look as if he's sort of settling into the job. Um, you may or may not agree with anything that he's doing um, but he seems to be at least finding his feet slightly. But Suella Braverman yesterday, I thought, did a brilliant job as well um, of convincing the nation this is what has to happen as far as migrants, as far as the emergency is now, because it's not just a crisis anymore. It is literally an emergency. We cannot take any more people in this country uh, and it has to stop. And the idea that people like Gary Lineker uh, think that it's somehow akin to Nazi Germany is quite frankly not only insulting, uh, but, but ridiculous and totally and utterly pathetic. Coming up in the next hour, we're going to be talking to Dale Vince, uh, who has decided he's going to give even more money to Just Stop Oil, even though they're already planning to get involved in even more disruption over the course of the next uh, few months. Also, we're going to be talking to Isabel Lang, uh, who is Talk TV's very own weather reporter. We'll get from her exactly just how bad the snow is. We've already heard that Bristol Airport has shut down because they've had about a nano centimetre of snow. Brilliant. Uh, but you can still fly into the Antarctic, of course. 
Don't worry about it. We are going to talk now, though, to James Daly, MP, Conservative MP for Bury North, because amongst other things that we've been covering for about a week now, the lockdown files have been fascinating reading, absolutely incredible investigative reporting by Isabel Oakeshott, who will be back tonight, by the way, on the talk, 9pm. Um, she uncovered a whole cache of uh, WhatsApp messages that Matt Hancock had given her uh, when they were writing a book together. She handed those to the Daily Telegraph. One of the most disturbing um, pieces of information that came out of it was that during many things that were being considered, including killing all domestic cats in this country, uh, the government of the day, and Matt Hancock specifically as Secretary of State, thought about somehow threatening or bribing, or a bit of both, backbench MPs from the Tory party uh, who were asking questions, who were a bit more sceptical about COVID policy than others, and who might not go along with it. Now, he said, basically, let us threaten People like James Daly uh, with withdrawal of money for projects that they've been doing. James speaks with us now for the first time since this came out. James, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike, from a very balmy college green. Yes, I'm sorry about the weather. If only I could do something about it. But, but <laughs> good to see you and thanks for waiting in the cold there. I mean, this is an incredible, um, I would say, overreach of ministerial responsibility. Um, you told the Daily Telegraph that you were appalled and disgusted. Tell us about the disability hub, first of all, that, that you were preparing to, to, to do in your constituency. Well, my idea was, and I, I was campaigning on it right from the first day I was elected, Mike, was to create an integrated um, care facility for children on the autistic spectrum and others with learning disabilities. It would be a, a lifelong um, support facility open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It would not only have health, social care and education there, every, you know, all, all workers, all, all professionals in there together, but it would have a cafe, it would have uh, employment support services and just be um, a respite service as well for families. So a wraparound care, because my, you know, in Bury and throughout the country, kids with SDN are being failed, and they've been failed for a number of years. So this was an idea that was put into Matt Hancock and others in government as a new model in which we could deliver this service in a better way to make sure, and I hate to use this word, if this government is serious about levelling up, which I think it is, it levels up for everybody, no matter their circumstances. And this was what I was campaigning for at the time, and I'm still doing. Yeah, absolutely right. But... How shocked were you to read in the Telegraph just the other day uh, this particular uh, t uh, tweet, uh, sorry, this particular WhatsApp message from Alan Nixon, Special Advisor to the Department of Health. I think we need to dangle our top arse over some of these 2019 intake MPs who are going off the boil this coming week. Thoughts on me suggesting to Chief Spads that they give us a list of the 2019 intakes thinking of rebelling, e.g., James, who is you, wants his learning disability hub in Bury. Whip should call him up and say the health team wants to work with him to deliver this, but that'll be off the table if he rebels. I mean, extraordinary, isn't it? Well, I think it is extraordinary. I can say to you, Mike, that that conversation never happened. So when the Telegraph phoned me up the day before, yet, day before yesterday, that was the first time I'd heard about this. Right. So, you know, Matt Hancock never said that to me, never threatened me or anything such as that. But I just think it's, and I'll use the word disappointing, but it's so much more than that, that one could even think about, um, in politics, there's many things that go on, many discussions, but to even think that threatening support to some of the most disadvantaged and vulnerable people, uh, you know, in my community is a pretty, 
reprehensible thing, I think. And uh, I'm just very disappointed in that. But I can confirm to you, Mike, that nothing, there wasn't a discussion at the time. So the first time I saw that was the day before yesterday. Yes. Yeah, but I mean, the disturbing aspect of all of this um, conversation that seems to have been going on behind the scenes is, is the style of the conversation, the tone of the conversation, the kind of the willingness for government ministers and cabinet members to just kind of basically say, well, anything goes in order for us to get to where we want to be. And in many cases, it seemed to me, and I'm not asking you to be disloyal to the party here, an awful lot of it seemed to be just so that they could look good. Well, I never had those conversations, Mike, genuinely, in terms of the lockdown since then. I had lots of conversations regarding different parts of policy. I was never threatened or never... The tone of the conversation to me was it was clearly they were trying to persuade me to vote in a certain way, mm. but that was always done in a respectful way. Um, as you can see, I think, from the WhatsApp, you know, the discussion that I was having with Matt Hancock at the time and others in government was, was sort of multifaceted in that I, was, I wanted to make sure that pubs and the hospitality sector were getting proper funding yeah. with what was going to come. So there was lots of different conversations happening at one time. But in general, my, certainly my experience is that I've always gotten very well with my whips in particular, and I've never, never experienced what, you've, uh, what perhaps you're alluding to. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, well, I'm not alluding to it. It's all there for everybody to read. I mean, whether or not they ever got to it uh, is another matter. I mean, they also considered killing all domestic exactly, cats, exactly. you know, and that is, for me, a worry. And the idea that the, uh, the, the Secretary of State for Health would actually say, when are we going to release this new uh, variant news? You know, let's scare the pants off people. I mean, all of that, I think, has put certainly Matt Hancock in a difficult light. Rishi Sunak doesn't come out too bad. Boris Johnson doesn't actually come out too bad. But what is the general feeling... In, um, in your kind of neck of the woods, in, in your area of backbencherism, if you like, you know, you guys are sitting there, you're a very important part of the Tory party, you're considered to be uh, marginal seats, I think yours is the most marginal seat. Um, you know, yeah. what, what, what are your fellow Tory MPs saying about all of this? Well, I can tell you from my perspective that I think what this shines a light on is that we must never, ever, ever be put in the position where our fundamental freedoms are are taken away from us in these circumstances. It is incredibly disappointing to read that some of the tactics that you've, you've, you've talked about there were used to influence public opinion. You know, a great friend of mine and a great man, Sir Graham Brady, announced yesterday that he was standing down as, as an MP and he served his constituency for many years. He shone out as a beacon, Mike, throughout the whole of this. He voted against all the lockdown restrictions. Yeah. And, you know, some of us were influenced by evidence that was presented to us by... Um, I'll say experts and, and people in this field, which have been proved to be completely incorrect. So the lesson of this is value, uh, value those freedoms, value you know the opinions of people who don't necessarily agree with you. Take a rounded view of this. Don't put in place measures that are going to trash the economy and do other things yeah. like that. You know, be be straightforward about where we are and do not try to use tactics which undermine public confidence. Yes, and isn't it also true that a lot of this will undermine public confidence in government policy in general? 
because they'll say, well, you tell us that you've got evidence of this and you tell us that we're uh, we're persuaded to, to cut, to pass this policy because scientists are telling us. And people might now go, really, are you sure? Well, I think, Mike, one of the things we all remember during the, you know, the time of the pandemic was we had experts, you know, professors of this and professors of that on the TV every day of the week, you mm. know, trying to scare the pants off us, saying that this, that and the other was going to happen. There's very, you know, there was a, a very blurred line between the, the expert panels who were advising the government and the government themselves. So I think it's not just the government. I think some of the experts, hopefully in terms of the inquiry, are going to be able to say why they felt so strongly these measures were needed when we, we've now quite clearly seen that they weren't needed and that, you know, we should have taken a... A, a more proportionate response because we're still feeling the consequences of what's happened over the last couple of years. So it, it, you are completely right. In terms of Matt Hancock, I've said to you, and I've come on the programme today for one of the reasons today that Matt never had that conversation with me. But Matt's now out of government and we've got a new team in there. And I think, as you quite rightly said, Rishi Sunak in particular was the one fighting at the top of government to ensure that our freedoms were protected and trying his best to protect the economy. Yeah, I mean, I did say yesterday, if this uh, new immigrant law is passed and it's successful, I think that could be um, a massive factor in the next election. I think it could even win the election for the Tory party. Do you know, Mike, I get fed up with people who, you know, people like Mr Lineker and others. Uh, unlike Mr Lineker, people like me have been involved in politics for a long time. We've knocked on thousands of doors. I've spoken to ordinary people about their concerns. People who aren't millionaires, people who, who can't insulate themselves from the problems of the world. And over the last 10 years, Mike, the issue that's been of most concern by a million miles has been immigration. Mm. And I'm very not just pleased, I'm actually delighted that, the, that the, the concerns of ordinary people have been taken up by this Prime Minister and we're putting in place a perfectly reasonable measure. Right? Basically, it's a cap a cap on numbers, Mike, that is the same as in other other countries which are, certain other countries which are subject to the ECHR. We are c creating safe uh, and legal routes for people. What do people want? Safe and legal routes, a cap on migration. We can't bring people into a country if we don't have housing and the capacity to be able to support them to live, you know, the life that they want to live here. How can we possibly do that? You know, the sloganising of Mr Lineker and people like him who demonise the views of good, ordinary people throughout this country who want, you know, us to have a fair... Uh, uh, immigration system, but a system that is decided by our own politicians. And it's going to be interesting, Mike, now. We've actually got proper accountability. The, the Home Secretary is under a legal duty to remove migrants who come to this country. And it, this is what we need. We need. It's going to be interesting to see when, when the vote comes about the migrant cap, how people vote. You know, this is, we can now see politicians, what they mm. truly believe in this. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think Shirley Brown was brilliant yesterday when she described Keir Starmer as not only a man who had no policy on migrants, but as part of his five missions, one of them isn't immigration. It's not uh, protecting the borders of this country. Uh, and she said deep down, uh, he doesn't believe in stopping people from coming to this country. And deep down, um, he thinks that anyone who does want to stop people coming to this country is a bigot. And that's Labour Party policy for you. Listen, Suella was brilliant yesterday, and I'd encourage anybody, I know it's not probably most people's, you know, who'll be switching on Parliament TV, but look at what Suella did. She highlighted completely, like you just said, Mike, the Labour Party have no policy. I've been sat there, you know, for years now, listening to what they're actually saying, and nothing ever comes out. In my view, what they're espousing is just simply a status quo, unlimited immigration, not tackling this problem. You know, the fundamentals of this is that people are putting their, their, their lives at risk coming across the, uh, the channel, they don't seem to want to do anything about it. They don't have any proposals at all to tackle that. And I think this government, and this Prime Minister in particular, is stepping up to the mark, putting in place proposals, which I think everybody can get about, you know, can, can, get, can get behind. And so 
after after many years of being an MP, we have a Prime Minister who's actually delivering on what people wanted, what people wanted in the Brexit vote, and what people wanted in 2019. Because the Brexit vote, Mike, we could have lots of talk about what the reasons why people throughout the country voted for it, but it was mainly based upon immigration and immigration numbers. And when we were talking about taking back control, it was about taking back control of our own immigration policy and having a robust policy in terms of numbers, making sure people could come here safely, but people could, could come here who, um, in line with our legal requirements, which is that they were suffering persecution, not economic migration. I was, Mike, I was, in the, I was with the Home Fair Select Committee a few weeks ago in Calais. We went to a camp. The, the camp was, it was full of young single males coming. We talked to lots of, them, lots of them there. There wasn't anybody who used the word persecution, but there was a lot of them who used the word El Dorado. The people have been telling them about this, you know, the streets paved of gold in the United Kingdom, and they are willing to do anything to, to come to the United Kingdom. They're in a safe country in France. Why are they not staying there if they have you know, a proper asylum claim? So this government is responding, thank goodness, to the concerns of ordinary people, not multimillionaire liberals. Yeah, absolutely well said. James, thank you so much for uh, talking to us and thanks for standing in the rain uh, to do so. James Daly, MP. What a fantastic, fantastic takedown of Gary Lineker, the plank. Luckily for him, uh, he's made his stupid statement about Nazi Germany just in time for Plank of the Week. Uh, he might even appear on it. This is Talk TV. Online, on DAB+, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Early morning talk. Passionate talk. Max talk. Talk radio. James Max. Early breakfast. Talk radio. The nation's favourite common sense station. James Max. Early breakfast. We have a crisis of confidence. James Max. Have you ever seen such poor government communication? Commitment. Conversation. Common sense. This is awful for them. James Max. Early breakfast. Weekday mornings from five. On talk radio and talk TV. The home of common sense, talk radio and talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. Coming up, Dale Vince will be speaking to us. He is, of course, the man uh, who is the one and only, uh, I suppose, a renaissance man in some ways, because he owns a football club, Forest Green Rovers, which is the only vegan football club known, uh, I think, in the Western uh, football business. Uh, he also happens to be the founder of Ecotricity, which is sort of a green uh, eco-based electricity company. He's also, though, one of the great funders of the eco-terrorists, as I like to call them, Just Stop Oil. Uh, so we'll be getting hold of him uh, any moment now, and I'll be talking to him about why he's decided to give them some more money. But we might also ask him um, about Carl Walker's behaviour. We might also ask him um, about what is going on with the price of electricity and why it is costing so much money. We might also uh, be able to show you uh, what we wanted to show you earlier, which is Emma Thompson talking about the migrants and the new laws being brought in by Suella Braverman. Have a look. You're a mother fleeing with your toddler and a baby from bombs falling on your home. You're a criminal. You're an elderly grandmother, you have trouble walking, and you're trying to reunite with family. You're a criminal. You're heavily pregnant, trying to escape with nothing but the clothes on your back. You're a criminal. You're a teenager and you don't even know where your family is, or if they're even alive. You're a criminal. This government wants to criminalize desperate refugees for taking what they see as the wrong path to safety. It's not always possible to take the right path when you're running from... Yeah, thanks, Emma. 
once again, more multi-millionaires telling us how we should be living and who we should be letting into the country and exactly why uh, we would be described as racists and bigots and Nazis. Because Gary Lineker thinks that, you know, having a load of people coming to the country who you don't know who they are uh, is a great thing. Unbelievable. Let's talk to Dale Vince anyway. He is the founder of Ecotricity. Um, he is also uh, the boss of Forest Green Rovers, a football team, the only vegan football team, I think I'm right in saying, Dale, uh, in the west of Europe, um, probably in the world, maybe. Um, very good morning to you. I haven't seen you for a while. Yeah, morning, Mike. It has been a while. Yeah, what's going on? Ah, quite a bit, really, you know. We're having fun in football. Uh, we're busy in the world of eco stuff. I uh, just brought out a new book. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot going on. Yeah, I've got that here. I'm going to talk to you about the book in a minute. First up, though, and the reason I wanted to talk to you, because I saw you tweeted out yesterday, um, rather self-congratulatory, uh, that you just decided <laughs> to hand a load more money to those maniacs from Just Stop Oil. Those heroes, you mean? No, that's not what I mean, no. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no I mean the people who are committing crime, the ones who keep going to jail. My, my um, viewers and listeners have asked me to ask you a series of questions. Many of them say, why are you funding these eco-criminals? Well, look, um, <clears throat> I don't think they are eco-criminals. I think history shows us that quite frequently, before a big change, the people that are advocating for a big change are considered outside of the law and completely wrong. Look at the suffragettes. Look at the abolitionists. Stop that. I'm going to stop you there. You cannot, you cannot get away with that rubbish, right? Mm, the, suffragettes, well, no, the suffragettes were demonstrating on behalf of an entire gender, which you can't even mention now, right? People who weren't allowed to vote, who had no rights in a representation in a democratic society. Uh, you know, that is a very, very different cause. And their cause was just. And their cause was right. And this lot, say, unfortunately, are in the wrong. Well, I would say that uh, Just Our Boyle, Insulate Britain, uh, Extinction Rebellion, their cause is everybody. Not, not a gender. No, it isn't, actually. And, and, and not a race, but everybody on the planet. Yeah, but I haven't asked them to represent me. They haven't stood for election. You know, they don't have any mandate whatsoever to sit down and block people from doing their rightful business, whatever it is that they wish to do. So they're actually damaging people's lives rather than helping them. This is how it looks on the wrong side of a big societal change, which is coming. We saw it with the suffragettes. We saw it with the abolitionists that campaigned to stop slavery. Would you have been in favour of, of that? Would you have been against the abolitionists? Abolitionists? I think the point about it all is, Dave, Dale, that this, none, none of this is in any way compatible, right? You can't say uh, that abolishing slavery is the same as stopping oil. You can't say that, you know, abolishing um, the, right, uh, the, the denial of women to vote is the same as this. It really isn't. And also, you haven't got the science. You're the sort of Matt Hancock of the economic uh, and ecological world. You know, you're faking all the facts. You're making things up as you go along. You're pretending that having any effect on the climate uh, is something that you can control. You're making out that sitting down in front of a car, telling people not to buy a car that puts petrol in it will make a, a jot of difference to the world because it won't. You know it won't. And, and you just won't admit it. Well, the thing is, the climate crisis is denying people the right to breathe clean air, drink clean water, to have survivable temperatures. Nearly 40,000 people died, Mike, in Europe no, last summer, last no. summer due, to, due to excess temperatures. Around the world, tens of thousands of people are dying every no. year because of the climate crisis it's got nothing already. To do with that. But worse is coming. Rubbish. So this is about a right to life and a right to a planet no, to live on. It's not true. All right, well, you'll be able to tell me then, presumably, because you will have some kind of made-up model that says that if I stop <laughs> driving my car, right, around London, London, that somehow the temperature will go down in southern Italy in what three years will it? 
have no idea. I think exactly. that's bizarre. No idea. That's, 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 that's bizarre. the most honest answer you've given. Well, why should why should anybody stop driving their car when it won't have any effect? Well, you don't have to stop driving your car. We all need oh, to fine. move to lower emission cars much. and actually electric cars. But well, you, you don't. You know, electric I'm not cars, an advocate. No, I'm not an advocate of giving up the way that we live. Right? I believe that we can just do things differently. We can right. keep cars. We can keep. Uh, we can keep everything, even diamonds. We can make diamonds from atmospheric carbon. We've shown that from thin air. We, you know, everything that we, everything that we value in life, we can have, but we have to do it differently. Explain to me how an electric car is greener than a real car. A real car. A real car, yeah, a real car with a combustion engine. That's a proper car. Electric cars are not proper cars. Well, they're greener because they make no emissions, no pollution. Not true. Stuff that kills That's not people, true. Right? Sadiq Khan disagrees. No, no, Sadiq Khan disagrees with you because they're about to Does start he? taxing the tires of all cars, right? And actually, yeah. an electric car is so much more heavy than a real car that the the tire uh, pollution that co- that is caused by it driving on the road, and the, also the pollution and the damage done to the road, is a thousand times worse than it is in a real car. I think that's an exaggeration. No, it isn't. All right, well, you tell me a what the real figure times, is. A thousand times. Right, I mean, a car, an, an electric figure? car doesn't weigh a thousand times more than a how real much, car. How does much it? more does it weigh then? About a few, few hundred kilos, I would think. A few hundred, you would think. You don't, you at know. the top, at the top end, at the top end. I mean, I don't think it's that important. I, I think that you're, oh, of course you you're, 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 you're glossing over the really big issue, which there are no tailpipe emissions polluting the air that we breathe. Yes, there's always been rubber particles from tires and don't forget brake dust as well. And you do yeah, have well, less so brake dust cars, from an electric car, you have less because they have engine braking uh, from the electric motors. They have programmable uh, Engine, uh, motor braking, so you use less brakes than an electric work? car. In a BMW i3, for example, how does that work? How does engine braking work? When you come off the throttle, yeah. the electric motors generate electricity, which is which in has the effect of slowing the car down. They turn from being motors to generators. In, in an i3, uh, I've had one a few years ago. You can drive around town and never touch the brake. When you come off the throttle, it brakes for you. What about if you see a cyclist? Well, you have to avoid a Just don't break. Don't well, no, they're supposed to avoid me. That's That would be my advice. Otherwise, it could be a problem. You should maybe read the highway code. Yeah, well, I have read the highway code and I disagree with it. What about Andrew Baker, a man who parked his electric vehicle at the airport um, and came home to find that it didn't have any juice left in the battery? How does that work? Well, well that can happen. Right. So but- you can park your car, right? You can go and do some shopping or go and buy the kids some lunch or even no. maybe go away for the weekend, <clears throat> and you come back and you've got no juice in the car. No, it sounds like he had a fault in his car, but look, faults are going to happen, right? They even happen in real cars. Right. Okay. Well, let's talk real. more about the polluting of, of, of the... Uh, what about the mining of the battery uh, that you need to do? You have to send kids of 10, 9, 8 years no. of age into a cobalt mine. Uh, into, no, you don't. Yes, you do. Into no, lithium no, mines in don't. Afghanistan. <laughs> Well, that's what they do, though, isn't it? That's where they come they, from. They, they they may do that. Some people may do no, that. No, they it do do that. that. It doesn't mean that you have to do that, right? It, that's not best practice. That's not necessary. There are bad things happening around the world. There are sweatshops all over the world making clothes, for example. It doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, but it is that way. And most of the electric car batteries that are manufactured are manufactured that way, unless you can tell me different. 
Well, cobalt is really interesting material. It's been in use in oil refining for decades, but I never heard anybody mention it until electric cars started using it. Yeah, because we going no, on there? well, that's because nobody was virtue signalling around and telling us all how to how to live and what to do. <laughs> you know, I happen to know, for example, that you own um, an electric motorcycle, which is very nice for you, but rather expensive for most people. And for most people uh, who are trying to drive around. Um, who are being told that they're polluting the air. You know, you've got Sadiq Khan, for example, telling them, you know, you can pollute the air, that's fine. You just have to pay to pollute the air. He's not actually trying to stop the pollution. He just wants to make more money out of it. So it's a scam, isn't it, clearly? No, taxing pollution works. It has the effect of reducing pollution. Have you been we to London that. later, lately? Know that. I have. I think it's really clean compared to what it was 10 years ago. I'm, I'm surprised by that. I right. used to really suffer in London So, with so let me ask course. you this. So let me ask you this. Why is the air cleaner when there's more actual congestion? Uh, cars have got cleaner progressively because of regulations. I mean, it's quite simple. You know, a car so what you're today saying is, is so what you're saying cleaner is, than 20 years okay, ago. Okay, so what you're saying is is that the, the air in London is actually now quite clean. Uh, it's still illegal. It's at illegal levels of NOx, for illegal example. Illegal by, much by cleaner, whose measure? By but, whose measure but, is it illegal? Uh, the, the WHO, World Health Organization. Oh, forget the WHO. They don't even know what they're doing. <laughs> these are the same people that <laughs> of said... they don't. These are the same, yeah, these are the same people, I'm afraid, who went into China and couldn't work out where uh, COVID had come from, who also told us at the beginning of the COVID pandemic, uh, don't worry, it won't pass between species. It's an animal uh, virus only. That's what WHO said. I wouldn't bother listening to yeah. anything they have to say. Well, on, on air quality, London's much better than it was, but it's still illegal. Well, it can't be better. Well, it, well, like, well, you can't have it both ways. If the air yeah, quality, if the air, see, that's what you think you can. If the air quality is better, <laughs> and yet there are more, and yet there are more cars, then it must not be the cars that are causing the pollution. Surely, yeah, that's a, that's a silly correlation, right? Is the it? cars are cleaner than they ever used to be, so you can have more cars, and you can still have better air than it was ten years ago, even with more cars. That can happen. Right. So why do you need to oh, make it? And don't even- forget. I mean, there's loads of electric taxis in London now. Yeah. I don't know if you've noticed. Yeah, I'm amazed by that. Yeah, I do. Why, why, why would you be amazed by that? But you should talk to the well, cab drivers who were forced to get those taxis at personal cost to them. And many of them would have wanted to retire about five years ago, but they couldn't because they're still paying off the incredible debt that they were made to get into by Sadiq Khan, who wouldn't allow them to drive anything else. Well, I haven't met that taxi driver, but I have talked well, to Well, you don't live here. You live in the sticks, mate. I, know. I, I work and live in London. I take taxis all the time, and they all complain and that Sadiq Khan is a no. complete bully, and they love my show. So. so next time you're in a black cab, you ask him, who do you like better, Dale Vince, Sadiq Khan, or Mike Graham? I'm going to ask that question. But listen, I've spoken to a few, and they really like it. They really like the electric cabs. They do. It's a fact. That's rubbish. Spoken to a, absolute a good, rubbish. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Mikey, before I forget, I have to tell you, I've got some good news for you. Go on. There is a way to grow concrete. Of course there is. I knew that. <laughs> Bacterial growth is a thing, right? I no, mean, no, I'm, no. Hemp, check, no, check out hempcrete. Hempcrete. Google it, right? Yeah, no, it's, I know about that as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I know about that. You knew that. that all along, right? You knew that all along. Of course I did. You know... <laughs> Everything on this show is not what it seems. It's got several levels. The great thing about this show is that depending on how smart you are, you can reach all sorts of different levels. You know, I think you're about on a level three, I would say. Three out of three? No, three out of five. There's another two levels to go. Your education is yet yet to complete. But let's talk about your new book, Battle for Green Britain. Um, Is it self-published? No, it's published by Penguin. Very good. (laughs) That's <laughs> just a joke. Tell us about it. What does it say? Uh, well, you know, it's a story of my life. It's, it's biographical, really. Uh, my time on the road, I spent 10 years uh, doing that. And then I dropped back in and 
and started a business really to try and change how electricity was made in Britain. That's Ecotricity. And then the story of my journey in business for 25 years, tackling energy, transport and food. Uh, really, it's all about sustainability for me. And uh, the stuff I've done along the way, built Britain's first electric car, the, the network of charging points called the Electric Highway, Forest Green Rovers, Sky Diamonds, a whole bunch of stuff. And at the end, there's a blueprint, like a manifesto. It's called Manifesto, the chapter how we get to a green Britain is very simple. We've got the technology, the economics are on our side, the people are on our side. We just need the politicians yeah. to get it. Yeah, that's, no, that's unfortunately, you've got, you've got that completely round your ears. The only people on side <laughs> are the politicians. The people are not on side oh, and neither God. are the economics. And you see what people are having to pay for their supposedly renewable energy. You know, there's people, well, ring, there's grannies ringing me up telling me they're terrified of the next electricity bill they get because they can't pay it. I think, you yeah. know what you should do? In order to convince people that the green way is the right way, you should start a fund for people who can't afford to pay their energy bills, right? You're a millionaire. You can afford it. Put some money in it. And if people can apply to have their bills paid by you, I think I might even become a supporter of Ecotricity. <laughs> nice. But listen, the energy crisis is, is a fossil no, fuel crisis. It's a fossil no, fuel it crisis. It's not. It is. No. It is. It is. So listen, we've spent $100 billion in this crisis subsidizing energy bills, fossil fuel bills, basically. For the same sum of money, we could build all of the infrastructure to be 100% green electricity and green gas on the grid, all made here in Britain and priced here in Britain, disconnected from global commodity markets that have caused this crisis. We can have permanently low bills and no energy poverty at all. Yeah, well, you we've could also have that. that money you, could also, if, bills. you could also have that if we were fracking in this country. And you could also have that um, if you had proper coal fired power stations because guess what you know what they had to switch on yesterday because there wasn't enough electricity from renewable sources tell me i don't know you tell me i got the a national... feeling it's cold it is cold yes well done you've moved up not to level four you've moved not up to level four it's not, not the, the end, end of the world, world but it no. should be the start of a new campaign but listen dale come back and see us in the studio because it's time get get on that electric motorcycle and we'll see you soon dale vince founder of ecotricity uh he's got a manifesto for the battle for green britain i'm not buying it this is talk tv the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio welcome back to the independent republic of mike graham right here on talk tv um of course we have to leave the echr we cannot have foreign judges overruling a, a sovereign nation despite britain being infested with bemoaning left-wing blairite judges well funny enough michael Lately, many of the judges in all of the immigration cases that have gone before the courts have actually voted alongside the, um, uh, the government of this particular day. And so the judges in this country are not actually as far left as they used to be, perhaps. But I believe it's better to work within the ECHR and make sovereignty work inside of that process uh, instead of actually waiting um, to get out of it and then take all the brickbats for that and then still have the problem with the lefty lawyers in this country anyway. We're going to speak to Brendan Clark-Smith, Conservative MP for Bassett Law, uh, just in a moment before um, we go to PMQs, which kicks off at about midday, of course. But first, here's Kate McCann, uh, Talk TV's political editor, talking to Suella Braverman this morning about Gary Lineker. Can I ask you about Gary Lineker's comments? People are suggesting that he should be sacked for what he said about your policy. Do you agree with that? I'm disappointed about Gary Lineker's comments. I don't think uh, it's appropriate for him to be equating our measures with uh, Nazi Germany. Uh, our measures are on the side of the British people. We are making it clear that if you arrive here illegally, you'll be detained and swiftly removed. That's what the British people want to see. That's what they want us to do, and we are doing it. Should he be sacked? That's a matter for the BBC. Uh, I'm not going to get involved in their own internal HR matters. 
The Home Secretary there talking about Gary Lineker and his ludicrous um, tweet last night. The BBC say they're going to speak to him, but let's find out from uh, Brendan Clark-Smith, uh, Tory MP for Bassett Law, uh, what should happen. Brendan, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Not at all. Um, I mean, Gary Lineker goes from bad to worse, doesn't he? I mean, I make the um, uh, connection between what he said and what he would accuse others of because he's accused many people in the past of hate speech. Um, I think anybody who brings up Nazi Germany uh, is a fool. Uh, I think it's a fool's errand. I think it's in, incredibly insensitive to, 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 to anybody with Jewish heritage. I think it's incredibly insensitive even to the modern German people. You just should not bring it up. And you certainly should not compare a Tory government, democratically elected, carrying out the will of the people as Nazis. Well, exactly. And unfortunately, we've been here before, haven't we, with Gary Lineker? He's uh, spoke on numerous occasions. I think we know where he stands politically, certainly. And he'll use the defence, well, I'm a sports presenter, I don't have to be balanced and so on, and it's my Twitter account. But it's basic professional standards, Mike. And as we say, really, um, you know, if he, if he doesn't like Brexit and wants to speak at People's Vote rallies or wants to attack Conservative MPs with views about sewage and things, then... Okay, well, he, he can do that, but I think he's crossed the line here. Yeah. Um, as you said, you know, to, to compare what really we think of firm but fair immigration proposals and to compare that with an evil regime that you know, systematically murdered six million people, I think it's a little bit too much. I think he needs to step out of this metropolitan bubble, get a bit of perspective. And, of course, we're a welcoming country, Mike. You know, you look at the number of people that we've welcomed uh, from Ukraine, from Syria, from Afghanistan, from Hong Kong. And we've been doing this for many, many years. So uh, we're a welcoming country, yeah. but uh, we want to focus on those genuine refugees and not people who are taking the mickey and abusing our system. Yeah, What's wrong I with mean, that? I find it incredible that people on the left can't seem to see that there is actually somewhere to go in the middle. You know, there may well be a lot of people coming here to seek a better life, but that doesn't mean they should be allowed to. You know, I'd like to go and live in Beverly Hills. That doesn't mean I can just go there and get a house, you know. The point is this. Um, we cannot invite people to come to this country without knowing who they are. We cannot allow people to come into this country and remain here for the rest of their lives working in the black economy without paying tax, uh, without even really having to be, ever be identified. We can't have people coming here who we may think are risking the lives of other people here. And that's entirely possible. And it's happened. So why can't they understand that we need to have a proper procedure and a proper checking situation um, that we can use? Well, exactly. And when we see that most of the people coming over were men in the 20s and 30s from Albania and so on, and yeah. this is a safe country, this is an ally, um, this is not a dangerous country, and it's about fairness, and that is economic migration. But what they don't seem to realise is they're doing a disservice to those people who are real, genuine asylum seekers and need help. They're having to be stuck in hotels waiting months and months and months for a decision because every man and his dog is suddenly trying to do the same thing. Mm. So it's a humane thing to do. There are people dying in the channel. We're trying to do something about it. And you can't have this situation where uh, people talk about safe and legal routes. I mean, we, we actually have those. But when people say that, what they actually mean, Mike, is that they want uh, open borders. They want to basically have blanket approvals on all of these cases and probably an amnesty as well with the people who are already here. So we don't want that. The British people don't want that. That's not what they voted for. And Suella Braveman's tried to do something about it. And perhaps Gary Lineker should get a bit of perspective before making these vile tweets. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, Brendan, I know you've got to get off the Prime Minister's question, so we'll let you go. Thank you very much indeed. Brendan Clark-Smith, Conservative MP Thank for Bassett Law there, uh, talking about uh, Gary Lineker and making an awful no lot of sense. Because let us yeah. let us face it, the problem with Gary Lineker here, right, is that he doesn't seem to know 
what proportionality is. Gary Lineker is a very privileged man. He's been very privileged all of his life. Let's not forget, this is a man who once claimed that he suffered racial abuse when he was playing football because he had slightly darker skin than other people. He actually played on football teams uh, with black players, but he now insists that he was a victim of racial abuse, even though he's white. But he wasn't. He's also claimed that he housed a refugee uh, in his building, in his house. And the refugee wrote a letter thanking Gary in a very, very good English uh, style, saying that he was very surprised because he thought Gary might be a bit of a conservative. Now, I'm not suggesting for a minute um, that he didn't write that letter, um, but it was very well written uh, for somebody who's only been here uh, for a very short amount of time. Gary Lineker put out this tweet. This is just an immeasurably cruel policy directed at the most vulnerable people in language that is not dissimilar to that used by Germany in the 30s. I'm sorry, Gary. That is a disgraceful and disgusting tweet. You should take it down. You should apologise for people of Jewish heritage in this country who have been offended by it. Um, I would suggest to you uh, that you who accuse others of hate speech might be found guilty of it yourself. I don't care uh, whether you're sacked. It's not my business. But what I would say is that you cannot any longer hide behind the idea that you're simply a football commentator, a sports reporter. Because why? Because you went to Qatar. Do you remember that? And when you went to Qatar as part of the World Cup squad, it was revealed that you had received money from the Qatari national broadcaster, Be In Sport, which is the sporting arm of Al Jazeera. Quite a substantial amount of money before you started complaining about the Qatari human rights problems, right? And then while you were there, you did a documentary about human rights in Qatar. Now, call me old-fashioned, but I don't call that football reporting. I don't call that football commentating, which means that you cannot any longer hide behind the fact that you're a sports person because you're not. So I think what I would do with Gary Lineker, if I was the BBC, is I would say, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. You're going to take the rest of the season off. We don't need to pay you. You can do whatever you like on a Saturday night. Come back in the new season when it kicks off in August. But for right now, you've upset too many people. You've blamed the Tory government and accused them of being like Nazi Germany, which is, quite frankly, disgusting. You shouldn't do it. Here's your punishment. Easy, isn't it? Let's talk to Peggy, who's in Basildon. Hello, Peggy. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? Oh, good, thanks. Oh, God, you couldn't make this country up, could you? You really couldn't. What's that, going on? Oh, bloody, that Gary, Gary Lineker is a sanctimonious git. And we pay all that pe- our money to, to that rotten old... 1.2 uh, million he gets. It's unbelievable, yeah. unbelievable. He ought to come down and li- live in a council estate where you say you can't get in the doctors, the hospitals and the schools. Mm. And the, what they've done... All these houses are bought up and divided them into bedrooms. It is just a joke, this country. It's about time this, all these politicians started looking after the indigenous population. Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. And even not just the indigenous population, but the people who have already come here as migrants and who are already living here. You know, a lot of them don't want any more coming either. 0344 499 1000. Thanks for the call, Peggy. Coming uh, up, we've got Prime Minister's questions. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, let's talk to Peter Bone, MP, though. Uh, he's Conservative for Wellingborough. Let's get his view uh, on how Prime Minister's questions went and how life is generally going uh, for the Tories. Peter, a very good morning. Good afternoon to you, I should say. 
Good afternoon. There's nothing good about the afternoon. I'm about to take <laughs> off and my umbrella with me. It's absolutely it's horrible, miserable it? in front of Parliament. Well, but uh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure, Peter... Things that are conserved, it's a... <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say, I'm pretty sure I heard somebody blaming the government yesterday for the bad weather because the Tories are now getting the blame for everything. Yeah, that's pretty pretty much the case. I mean, it's, oh, it's been a good week for the um, the government and the party. The uh, the stop the small boats, it's hugely popular in my constituency. It's it's been the number one issue for months now. Mm. And what the government has said is clearly a dividing line between the Conservatives and Labour. Labour want really to let anybody in, have any amount of asylum claims, and I think this balanced approach by the government is spot on yeah it absolutely is and i can't believe that some uh, people particularly in the labor side of the of the of the fray um don't seem to understand it you know they don't realize that people all over this country have immigration as their number one concern people who have been affected by it every single day keir starmer doesn't have a policy on it uh, as is as he's been pointed out by uh, sir Bravman and rishi sunak today um they don't seem to know what to do about it no i mean the Commons was rowdy today, and when it's rowdy, it normally means one side or the other's on the back foot. Yeah. Labour was clearly on the back foot today. Starmer had nothing to say, and I think the line about him being some lefty lawyer from the Prime Minister yes. was pretty much what a lot of people think, and they de- they daren't. Well, it, 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 you know, if you believe in unlimited immigration, as many asylum seekers as possible, then you vote Labour. Mm. If you don't, you vote Conservative, and I think... I think they're out of touch with the people on this. I really do. Yeah, I do. I'll tell you who else is out of touch with the people. It's Gary Lineker. What did you make of his comments? Well, no, look, I don't listen to what Gary... Oh, well, actually, I don't watch Gary Lineker. And the point, what he says is... I mean, did he say something about comparing the immigration policy to Nazis or the 30s he did. or something? He did. I mean, I mean you know, the man is... Um, well, he's a wealthy individual who can say what he likes. But why anyone would take any notice of him? Um, I'm not even. I don't take any notice of him about football either. No, exactly right. Um, so as far as the uh, the migrant law is concerned, I mean, for me, uh, and I've said this, if the Tories get this right, there's every chance that this could win you the election, uh, which will be coming up, you know, within fairly uh, fairly soon uh, in the next year or so. Um, do you feel the same way about that? I put it slightly differently. If we don't get it right. We're not going to win it. Yeah. Um, the, and it's always a very difficult thing for a government that's been in for power for so long. But if we get this right and we start delivering on things, if we get the cost of living right, if we uh, deal with Brexit as the Northern Ireland framework appears t- to do, or the Windsor framework, I, I think we're on going on the right track. I would. I, w- I think we have. I, I don't believe we're in a, a situation like we were with Tony Blair. When I was still a candidate right back then, Tony Blair was moving his tanks onto our ground mm. and was sounding more conservative than the major government. So that's not the case here. It's different. So everything to play for. Well, the other thing that people pointed out to me today, uh, our listeners and our viewers, as we were watching Prime Minister's questions, was kind of ironic for Keir Starmer uh, to wish everybody a happy, happy International Women's Day when he doesn't actually know what one is. <laughs> well, it's. Re- I, I mean, I actually did chuckle at that point because... <laughs> What is it now? The Conservatives have had three uh, leaders of the um, Conservative Party. Yeah. Uh, well, three prime ministers, yeah. in fact. And one of them, perhaps arguably one of the best ever, in, in Mrs Thatcher. And, and Labour has had zero. It, it's, it, it's, it's, it's like, it's all these myths. 
that Labour's in favour of these things, but their actions don't follow it up. Like they always say they want to increase employment and get unemployment down, and yet every Labour government has left office with unemployment higher than when they come mm. to power. Right. Uh, so what they, what they say and what they do is two different things. Yeah, exactly right. Listen, Peter, it looks absolutely hellish down there, uh, so I'm going to let you go and grab some proper cover, but thank you so much for talking to us. Peter Bone, MP uh, for Wellingborough. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.